Hello and welcome to the Arista Wealth Podcast, where we focus on your finances, wellness, and lifestyle, so you can focus on living your dreams. We'll help you navigate through important topics so that you can elevate your life and financial health. Let's get started with your host, Paul Moffitt. Hello, welcome to Arista Wealth Podcast. Thank you for checking back in. We're very excited and thrilled for today's guest appearance. We have Aaron Lowry, who is the author of three books and has given so much time to the importance of financial literacy and the topics of being successful with your money. She grew up in Japan and China and spent most of her time as an adolescent off of the U.S. soil. Japan and China are amazing countries. And she has a lot to add to that and helps us understand the importance of the basic things in life. She has one sibling. She also has a degree in journalism and theater. And when I asked what her favorite play was, she said, I have many. So we know that we're really with a Broadway enthusiast when they say they have many. But I did get it narrowed down to a straight play called Fat Pig. And we are excited and thrilled. Welcome, Erin, to Arista Wealth Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. You have many followers out there. You've been so vocal in helping people increase their financial literacy and really helping millennials get their financial life together. And you've just done so much. And we're just really excited to uh, spend some time with you today. The first question that we have for you, Erin, is how to tell your friends you cannot afford the same lifestyle as them. I always love this question because it's one of the most common that I get, particularly from millennials and now the older Gen Zs who are starting to come up and feel this pain. And when it comes to any financial conversation, truly, it's about communication and it's also about setting boundaries. And I think that that's a big part of the conversation is the boundary setting But one of the things that I really regret from my early 20s is that I was very fixated on making money and building wealth to the point where I started to say no to every invite from a friend if I could pick up another shift at the coffee house, if I could get another babysitting gig, if I could do anything else to earn money. And I bring that up because if you say no enough times, people stop asking. And a lot of times we think of that in context of romantic relationships, but it's just as true of platonic ones. And so I do encourage people to figure out how to invest into their friendships, but that has to be a balance. And you know, if you're in the friend group, especially as you've aged a little bit, you're a little further out of college, perhaps either you've made a lifestyle choice like getting married or having a family or buying a house that your other friends haven't done yet, or perhaps they're just earning more money and you just financially can't keep up, there's a few ways to navigate that conversation. One is to state your reason. And you don't owe them an explanation of, I have X amount of credit card debt, or I have this much in student loans. But giving them context of, hey, it's my goal to pay off at least one of my student loans by the end of this year. So I'm going to really focus on saving all of my money towards that. That doesn't mean I don't value and love you as a friend and want to invest in this relationship. But instead of whatever they invited you to, then you bring in the counter offer. Okay, well, instead of going to brunch, how about you come over and I make us brunch here? Or how about we just get a bagel and go for a walk in the park? Very New York centric type ideas. But whatever it is that works for you, having that counter offer is always a really good piece of advice for folks. 
And finally, you can't resent them if they decide to do whatever it is that they wanted to do Uh in the first place. That's great. It's also being honest, saying, can I share with you how I feel? And, And using these three questions as that structure. As you have traveled and spoken with other people and have helped a lot of these millennials, what do you find of those with that context of those three questions of staying the reasoning, doing a counteroffer, and then coming up with a substitute or replacement has been the most beneficial for their friends? Honestly, I think a big one is stating your reason. And I say that because oftentimes, one, you might find out that your friend is struggling financially with something similar to you and you just had no idea. And now, hey, it's a built-in accountability buddy for you to try to reach your financial goal together, which is great. Or now your friends just have more context about why you've been saying no all the time recently. And then maybe they'll be a little bit more accommodating or understanding or even empathetic with you about what the situation is. And heck, in some situations, they might counter themselves and come up with the fun, reasonable ideas first. I make a bit of a quip in the book about the fact that in 2019, in the month of February, I did a no spend challenge. And my friends knew, because I was very vocal about it and doing it, obviously, on all my broke millennial channels. And my friends came to me with ideas as well. And I'm like, well, I know you're not spending money this month. So how about we insert fun activity that didn't cost money here. And that takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, I love it. And then Aaron, question from a client was, how to ask your parents if they can afford retirement and if they'll need your support as they age? This is always a bit of a tough one because understandably, there are situations where your parents either feel like it's none of your business Or there might be a shame factor around whatever the financial situation is. And for anyone who's listening that is a parent, I would also encourage you to be open in discussing some of these things with your child. And not just about your ability to retire, but certainly about things like power of attorney, medical advanced healthcare directives, medical power of attorney, making sure that all that paperwork is in order. So if something happens, your child can immediately jump into just thinking about your care and doesn't have to deal with that stress on top of potential grief. I do think that for those who are trying to navigate the conversation with their parents, and I feel like I'm revealing a playbook for parents listening, but a big one, man, parents love to give advice. Let's be honest. So I think that coming at it from advice seeking and using that to get context clues, if your parents are not going to outright answer a direct question, which understandably a lot of people are not comfortable outright talking about money, but they are comfortable giving context clues and might not even realize that that's what they're doing in certain cases. And asking something like, you know, I just recently got access to a 401k plan through work. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed about how to pick the investments. Can you help me? Or what did you do? Or how did you start handling this when you were my age? Any of those types of questions that can start to give you some insights. Other ones, too, are using examples of things that your friend's parents are going through. You know, hey, Jackie's parents just moved down to Florida. I was wondering if you and dad have ever thought about what you want to do in retirement. And just starting to get some context from that. Maybe that opens up a whole full conversation with your parents about what that looks like for them. So really, I think it needs to be a gentle conversation. There should be no bulldozing. There should be no ultimatums put down. But also acknowledging in some cases, if your parents are really refusing to engage with you initially, also seeing if 
you expressing why this is a pain point or an anxiety point for you can be helpful. Using I language, I'm thinking about my future. We are connected. You are my parents. I want to make sure that in the future, you're financially stable and sound. And if you need support from me, I want to be able to provide it, but I'll be able to put myself in a better financial place if I have that information now. You know, what does the future look like for you? What are you thinking? And also acknowledging if there's any family history of Alzheimer's or dementia or cancer or anything that could strip your parents of their own autonomy. And that's a hard topic to bring up. But being pragmatic and proactive about making sure all of the legal paperwork is in place so that if something would go sideways in the future, you can immediately step in to handle all of your parents' needs and care for them and that they've gotten to lay out what they want in a time where they legally are allowed to. Gosh, Aaron, you're full of information inside. This is so amazing. Some of the things that you talked about is the no bulldozing. We're all familiar with pain points, but having that anxiety point, we just live in a world of so much anxiety, especially during COVID right now. People's mental health isn't what it used to be. And we're, we're just seeing, you know, on our end, clients calling with anxiety, but having these frank, open, transparent conversations, not with just our friends, but now with our parents. What are some of the, the issues and some of the statistics that you're seeing out there about financial topics and financial conversations around family and friends? Well, I think when it comes to the family, and I don't want to misquote what some of the stats are in the book and apologize for not having them off the top of my head, but that statistically, most of us as we age will need in-home or at-home care and that there will be even a temporary disability that we're going to need help with. And so having real conversations about what that's going to look like and can you afford that and can you rely on family or not? You know, you might have a child who would love to step in, but if that child works a job and has children of his or her own, they might not have the flexibility in their schedule to be there for all of the needs you might have. And therefore you need to pay for either in-home care or perhaps an assisted living facility But from the child perspective, you also can't just tell your parents, well, I'm now uncomfortable, so you have to go do this. That's not fair. You can't just strip them of their agency and their autonomy. It has to be a conversation. And I had the pleasure of speaking with a woman who actually helps. She herself lived in a four-generational household. Her grandmother, her parents, herself and her husband and their children all lived in the same house. And she actually professionally works to design multi-generational homes. And it was just a really interesting conversation about how you can blend the family together, but also make sure that everybody has their own space, their own autonomy, and that technology really has put us in a position where that can be helpful. Her grandmother towards the end did have Alzheimer's and it really made her mother feel like she couldn't leave the house. And so they ended up putting cameras up so that if the mother left, she could make sure to look in on her mom that nothing you know, was happening, that she was being safe. And, you know, she hadn't fallen and even stuff as simple of the way they pushed the bed against the wall so that there was only one way that she could physically get out of her bed. So that just became a routine. So in her late 90s, she wasn't going to fall and hurt herself. All of these little things that we can think through and discuss, but just because 
you think you know what's right for your parents, it still very much has to be an open conversation and dialogue. But the earlier some of that stuff can start to happen, instead of it happening when there's now a big pain point or an emergency, the earlier we can have these talks, the better. Yeah. Well, they say it's sort of like cancer. The earlier you have screening, the, the sooner you can get it. With your money also, the sooner you can talk about it with those that are around you, with your spouse, with your children and your grandparents. We may have that same warning, a financial medical warning. The sooner you talk about it, the sooner your life will be less riddled with uh, anxiety and frustration, sort of maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. And the sooner too that you know siblings can plan together. Not all things are going to be exactly equal. You might have to prorate support based on what different family members can afford. You know, maybe some take on more of the day-to-day emotional care for a parent and they're physically in closer proximity. Others might only be able to contribute financially because they don't live nearby. I mean, there's just so many factors to consider here. But the earlier you can have the conversation so it's not happening in duress is really a great thing to give yourselves. Yeah. Give us some insight on how to handle money in marriages. Well, I really look at the three main categories, the traditional advice of, you know, joint. And I think that's a default for a lot of people, that that's how money gets handled. Then you have the completely separate where both individuals coming into the marriage just keep their money totally separate, separate accounts, figure out how to pay the bills separately, work that out themselves. And then you have the hybrid model, which is primarily joint. But each person has a separate account that's just in their name that they get a certain amount of each month put into it. They can call it allowance, discretionary spending, fun money, blow money. It has all sorts of different names. But it's an agreed upon amount that both parties get. And personally, I'm a big fan of the hybrid. But I respect all three of the models in that it needs to be a discussion about what feels good and what feels right for both parties. You don't have to do it jointly just because that's how your parents did it. And that's how people around you are like, well, you're married. That's how you're supposed to handle money. Well, maybe it's a second marriage. Maybe you both have children from prior relationships. Maybe it's just logistically easier for you to stay totally separate for whatever reason. And that's okay too, as long as everything's being communicated and investments are going where they should and savings and making sure all the bills are paid. There's probably a bit higher level of communication that has to happen there, but that might work best for some. And the hybrid model, I think part of the beauty of it is that it reduces some of the nitpicking that can happen at each other, especially because we all have different emotional relationships and value sets when it comes to money. And if you see that your partner is spending money on something that you personally don't value, it's easy to see why that becomes something that people pick at and cause a little bit of a fight that maybe doesn't need to happen. And so having that separate amount can ease some of those tensions. Plus, You can buy gifts for each other without it being a whole thing where you're like, don't look at the credit card statement. (laughs) Yeah. You know, once again with this, the sooner you can talk about it and saying, you know, this works best. My wife and I, we try to have a money talk every Monday. You know, we have the number, sometimes we don't. And here we are Tuesday. I mean, that talked about it for 30, 40 minutes last night. And we are the traditional, everything's joint. And I tell her what we're doing on the investment piece and some other stuff. And, you know, she's learned a lot by just having that conversation. But I agree with you 100%. I think all three models that you recommended, which is the joint, the separate, and the hybrid, you know, we've got a client who has married a gentleman who's had nine marriages. 
every month we talk to her, they've been married for four or five years. The marriage is going good. But we say, you know, you got to keep everything separate, 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 separate. And that's what's working for them. And Mm -hmm. they both can work, but it's just identifying the positives and the negatives, I guess, of each one. What are some of the other things with couples that you're learning and seeing on how they can handle money in their marriage that's working? Well, I think a big part of it, especially when we think about fighting fair about money, is this idea of one, having a very honest conversation about your partner's emotional relationship to money and what some of their triggers might be. And what I mean by that is for most of us, our relationship with money starts to get coded between the ages of about seven and 12. And so that means we inherit it from our parents. Not to blame any parents out there, but I do think that it's important that you understand the environment financially that your partner grew up in, why certain spending or saving or investing decisions might make them nervous or might be what they're inclined to do. And the reason I really emphasize this is so that if you're having a disagreement about something financially, you can hopefully have a level of empathy and understanding about why your partner might be coming from a particular place based on their history with money. The other thing, too, that I think is really important for us to consider is just the simple idea of going back to your goals. And when you're having a fight or an argument about how money should be spent or saved, really sitting down together and looking at the numbers and the logistics of this is what we said we wanted to achieve. Well, what does this decision mean for trying to achieve that goal? And really letting the goals that you set together determine a lot of how you're going to be making your own financial plan as a couple. That's great insight. And then, Aaron, share with us your feelings and some insight on the big word called a prenuptial agreement. I'm a big fan. And for a lot of people, that word alone causes a reaction. (laughs) And I think... (laughs) First of all, prenups need to hire a good brand consultant because they have a terrible reputation. And I think a lot of that has to do with this idea of it's either only for celebrities or the ultra wealthy, or it's tied into really bad divorce stories that are splashed across the press. And to me, one of the huge advantages of going through the prenup process is that you have really in-depth financial conversations with each other. And what better way to come into a marriage than to be really, truly knowing all of the financial details and having really honest, frank conversations about the money you already have and what you feel is fair moving forward. But the big thing that I always love to bring up, and this is what my prenup attorney said to me, is that you know everybody does have a prenup. It's just the default laws of your state. So then the question becomes, are you comfortable with the default laws of your state Or do you want to take some level of power back and figure out for you and for your partner what feels fair and equitable in a potential division of assets? Yeah, there's 41 states that are common law, and then the other nine are community property. And there is a default prenup in place. I I just never thought about that. And it's either the judge or the attorney's fighting and the judge makes a decision. (laughs) And And especially in those... Those nine community property states, you really want to know what the rules are. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, Erin. I mean, and, you know, we know with the common law that it really favors the man. And that's why they came up with the community property. If you just look looking at the history and the 
community property is 50-50 instead of, you know, favoring the man, which for many years with that history was the sole breadwinner. But, you know, the economy has changed and there's equality that's changed. And, you know, it's part of making sure that your financial plan does discuss something about prenup and getting to competent legal advice to, to draft that because whoever wants to have a judge and have it public and out there, it's important to, you know, have who, what, where, why with dollars that come in. Well, Aaron, it's been a delight visiting with you. I've got a whole page of notes here. You know, this is my profession. I've been doing it for a very, very long time. But like every good advisor, the more of a student they are willing to learn and expand and to read, and the better we are equipped in helping our clients. And how can our listeners stay in touch with you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial Blog, on Twitter at Broke Millennial. The website is BrokeMillennial.com. And my books are available wherever books are sold, including pre-ordering Broke Millennial Talks Money, which comes out December 29th. Wonderful. Well, listeners, we're excited. We've been thrilled. Uh, Hopefully, you've learned a lot. I know that I have. It's always great to speak with past authors and upcoming authors. They spend all day long researching, typing, discussing. It's not easy being an author because the readers are getting smarter and the real good authors out there continually upping their game. With Erin, she has a journalism degree and she loves Broadway. And so she always makes it fun and interesting. But thank you for joining us, Aaron. And thank you, listeners. We look forward in talking to you soon. Please give us a call. Go to our website and gather additional information on videos, tools, and tips, and ways that you can be smarter with your money and ways that you can live an optimized life making the right financial decisions. Hope you're well. We look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. This episode of the Arista Wealth Podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more advice on your finances, wellness, and lifestyle so you can focus on living your dreams. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.